0: Hey babe, and welcome back to another episode of Soul Self. So the Attachment Style podcast episode, which is 59, go back and listen to that if you haven't already, um, got amazing reviews. And since then, I have also created a whole tapping sequence for every single attachment style. So if you know what your attachment style is, and you've done the things that I mentioned in that episode, which... You're not going to find that kind of information anywhere because that was channeled through me as is the entire tapping sequence. If you're not um, familiar with what tapping is, it is emotional freedom technique, EFT, and basically it's psychological acupuncture, but you use your hands and it's pain-free. So super easy. It's free. And if you're interested in changing your attachment style, To be more healthy, to be a secure attachment style so that you are more balanced in your relationships, not just romantic, but also platonic ones, definitely DM me or email me at bloomshackthehealing at gmail.com. So the tapping sequence is $25 and I send you every single one and it's really powerful and it's yours for life. So why not? But today I really want to dive into attachment styles again, but from a different aspect. Um, A lot of you, it's the first time you heard about attachment styles. So definitely check out the book attached by Amir Levine. But I want to talk about this because I also am dropping a inner child healing program. And let me tell you, I have put my heart and soul into this. And whenever I create a course, I really go through it myself. It's a freaking boot camp. And, you know, basically, a lot of times I tell my clients, as adults, we are unfucking ourselves from our own childhood. And, you know, therapists and individual seekers alike, have actually long suspected that the conditions in which we were raised as children actually have an impact on how we functionally function emotionally as adults. So it's really easy to point out characteristics we trace to our parents, like, being a hard worker, certain mannerisms, expressions, the quality of relationships we de- we develop, how we handle disagreements and stress. And a lot of times therapists are actually tasked um in figuring out methods to assist clients with deficits. So therapists continually try to seek solutions and connections between the nature versus nurture aspect of really becoming uniquely ourselves. And they've really endeavored you know, to uncover how we can retain or eliminate characteristics that support or undermine our happiness and well-being. And with the program that I'm releasing, it is in an integration of the psychological and energetics. And you are doing this all on your own, at your own pace. And that's what makes it riveting. It's a very timeless process and you can come back to it numerous times. So I've been doing this stuff since I was 22, so almost over a decade now, and um, everything that I've done over the years, I found a way to implement and integrate and implement it, and I keep going back to it. I keep building on it. So if you purchase the course, anything that I add in the future, you have access to at the price that you've already paid, but when it comes to attachments, the family of origin, Other caregivers like close friends and grandparents, sibling relationships, and even adoption all impact our attachment styles. So our attachment style is the way in which we relate and communicate with the closest people to us. So attachment theory was actually developed by John Bowlby, and he really seeks to provide the framework for how attachment develops, manifests, and becomes derailed in our interpersonal relationships. And that's our understanding attachment style can really lead us on the path to healing as well as our satisfaction and well-being in all our relationships. So, I'm really excited to dive into this on a deeper level because, you know, infancy, in infancy, that's when our attachment style develops. So, it forms in how we relate to our caregivers, expressing our needs, how our needs are met, And since infants are helpless and without language, our attachment style develops and evolves as a matter of survival and obtaining our basic needs. So we really communicate by crying to alert our caregivers of our needs. We learn to behave in a way that helps us get what we need and want for every single survival, food, affection, love, trust, warmth, um, nurturing, safety, protection, consistency, and most of all, responsive presence. So in secure attachment, adults and infants are attuned to one another and the relationship provides the foundation for a healthy relationship in the future. So attachment defines the child's stability, social interactions, the cognitive and emotional development as they grow into adulthood. So in addition to, um, in addition to our primary relationships during development, it's also essential to recognize that a number of factors play into attachment development. And this includes trauma, socioeconomic conditions, and environmental factors. So our childhood, um, um, like our childhood learned attachment styles, They carry into our adult lives as we try to have more complex adult needs met, and this can really lead to the bolstering of healthy, secure relationships, but may also undermine our intimate relationships and friendships. So attachment in adulthood relates to how we build relationships and manage the highs and lows of those interactions. So how do we communicate? How do we repair? How do we relate? An adult attachment addresses our ability to connect. So feeling satisfied in our relationships and how we develop and maintain intimacy. It means to manage misattunements and repairing the relationship with the hope of being stronger. So the really powerful thing is that we're all born with this amazing capacity to survive, heal, and thrive. And that's really what has helped us as human beings get as far as we have. So on a more science-y level, I want to talk about neuroplasticity and our capacity to heal. So despite attachment injury, right, which our brains are hardwired toward healing, they're constantly seeking resources um, necessary to develop and nurture secure attachment. So even the most Challenging attachment injuries and trauma actually has the capacity to more move towards secure attachment styles by creating new neural pathways, reforming your habitual patterns and focusing on learned secure attachment in adulthood. And these are the three core things that I touch on in my course. So sometimes we need help and there's a lot of attachment therapists trained in clinical interventions to help clients. But there's also this whole part that they are missing, which is the energetic part, which is what moi is here for. So, you know, I really hope that you found this interesting so far, because I want to talk more about how to help step into healthy relationships that we really yearn for. And every single one of us, deserves and has the capacity to obtain. So starting with secure attachment styles, securely attached people grew up with plenty of love and support from consistently responsive caregivers. Okay. When parents maintain attunement and connection with their kids, they are probably responsive to their needs and also comfortable with their children exploring and discovering their independence. So if you watch families with small children at the park or like a picnic, you'll often see toddlers exploring and heading out on their own to look for flowers, insects, play in the grass, kind of like have their own little expedition. And you'll also see children who are constantly looking and running back to their kids, kind of like a home base for stepping into their next adventure. Also, if the child falls down or gets scared by something, they often cry out. So the parent responds to the cry of their child by comforting and consoling them until the child's calm and feels settled. So this is an example of a secure attachment style. And as the child grows up, right, they learn between, they learn to distinguish those moments between when they need their parents to comfort them and when they can comfort themselves and continue playing. So a busy and interested child playing with their toys might just, quote, shake off a scraped knee in the interest of having uninterrupted fun, right? And parents will often notice when a child falls down and wait to see their reaction before responding. This is giving the child an opportunity to choose their own response. And the point is that they are attuned and alert to the needs of their child. And this is why I'm so freaking excited when I become a mother to do conscious parenting and open up a whole other realm for my fellow ladies. But very young children who are actually securely attached will often become upset when their parent leaves and feel comforted when they return. So as children grow up, they develop the trust that their caregiver will indeed return and feel confident that they're not being abandoned. This then gives them the sense of confidence in their secure base and it builds the foundation for their future relationships. So some characteristics of what this looks like in adults is, you know, with an intimate partner, it's like the grown-up version of the children in the park, uh, the, the children and the parents at the park. So, when disagreements and troubles start to occur in a relationship, they can comfort themselves and their partners. They are confident that their partner is present for them and that every disagreement does not have to end, does not have to lead to the end of a relationship, right? There's connection based on trust and attunement. That is actually stronger than the day to day pitfalls that every single relationship often experiences. So, securely attached couples actually seek to repair and comfort, to understand and be understood, as well as having their needs and those of their partners met. They actually enjoy healthy intimacy physically and emotionally with their partners. So, this can look like having long term trusting relationships. Emphasizing on protection, safety, empowerment. This is knowing when to give each other space, when it's time to reconnect. Honoring both their needs and the needs of their partner. Having a strong sense of self-esteem and respect for others. Feeling comfortable sharing their feelings with their partner. Engaging in healthy connections that maintain relationship boundaries. And boundaries are a whole other concept, too, that comes back to each individual. A healthy, secure attachment couple, a healthy, securely attached couple enjoys playing and laughing together. They feel compassion for themselves and others. They consider their partners in a positive light a majority of the time. And they know that they deserve respect and will not, quote, settle. So if that doesn't sound like you, then you might be one of the next couple attachment styles. So let's go into avoidant avoidant attachment styles. So people with this attachment style have a tendency to keep intimacy at arm's length or to kind of diminish the importance of a relationship. So now I want you to think back to the park and family scenario, right? The avoidant attachment relationship between caregivers and the child will look more like this. The child goes off to explore and play with others and exercise their independence. They fall down, they scrape their knee, they cry out for help, but the parent is deep in conversation with someone else or absorbed in their phone or whatever and ignores. They either ignore or don't hear their child's cry. So seeing that the parent is not responding the child begins to disconnect, self-soothe, or ignore their own need for comfort. So avoiding attachment adaptation generally occurs when the primary caregiver is absent, unavailable, physically or mentally ill, or otherwise incapable of meeting the child's needs. Maybe because of their own attachment, um, attachment injury or trauma, or simply because of common life circumstances like working and being away from home much of the time. So the child who finds their needs are not met may actually begin to withdraw and learn that they are on their own. Okay. So they, the avoidantly attached actually become overly self-reliant learning by experience that if they need something, they have to do it themselves. So this independence actually develops as a need to avoid rejection and neglect. That is the key component right there. So the individual with the avoidant attachment style may even feel shame and guilt over having needs or that they need help meeting them. They don't like asking for help. They become attuned to themselves and need others less. So these are often children who seem very mature and they quote, grow up too fast and they're often appearing, um, they're often appearing precocious out of necessity for maintaining their own self care. And as adults, this can actually be, you know, when dating or in an intimate relationship, building walls and creating distance to avoid being hurt. You have to. You have an over focus on yourself. You could have difficulty maintaining eye contact, difficulty expressing your needs or feel it's just better to do it yourself. You may search out faults in relationships or partner, have strict, sometimes unequal and even unrealistic boundaries. Maybe even choosing another insecurely attached person to build a relationship with. You may have a number of one night stands or short term relationships to avoid commitment. Your friends and lovers might tell you that you, see, you send mixed signals. You want companionship, but you also fear being hurt, so you avoid emotional closeness. And you might even self-sabotage your relationship to avoid intimacy. This can also be overanalyzing relationships, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Ideal, um, idealizing past relationships over your current partner. You may be longing for your partner, but feel stressed in their presence. You may live in your head or have difficulty relating to others when intimacy deepens. You might even have the tendency to completely dismiss emotions, giving the impression that you don't give a fuck. And much of the avoidant attachment adaptation is fear-based. Fear of rejection, fear of shame, fear of guilt, fear of true intimacy. And this can actually result in superficial relationships and affairs that never deepen. So, to heal the avoidant attachment style is never easy since these habits and responses are ingrained in the neural pathways in early development. But healing is always possible at any age, and you can move toward a more secure attachment with focused and regular practices by learning secure attachment skills. So this can look like taking calculated risks with your partner, sharing your feelings, allowing vulnerability. When your partner expresses their needs, let them be heard. Practice sharing your own needs with your partner and it can start off really small. Focusing on the needs of the partnership rather than the needs of I or me. Really practicing empathy when confronted by your partner. Even expanding your awareness beyond the self and your thoughts, learning to ask for help, accepting it when it's given, allowing your original longing to connect, engaging in activities that actually include your partner, and really learning to find comfort, calming, or enlivening your vitality in your relationship. So there's a lot of small steps that can actually increase awareness and the ability to move toward a secure attachment. But as with any healing, any attachment injury, practice is required. You have to be committed. You have to be consistent. And when we think of healing attachment injury, it should be thought of as a journey, not a destination. So many attachment injuries see improvement, but old habits can occasionally creep back in. It's important to recognize the progress and Give up the expectation of perfection. And even for myself, I mean, I still have old programming that comes up, but that's what meditation is. That's what consciousness is. Meditation is not sitting down and being boo-boo and mm, connected to the universe. No, meditation can be while you're cooking, while you're walking around in the heat of a moment, taking a step back, taking a deep breath and realizing, ooh, I feel this way because X, Y, Z. Z right? So if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you are with an avoidant attached partner, so if your partner leans towards an avoidant attachment style, it's really easy to feel isolated in your own relationship or to internalize your partner's tendency to close. And you might press harder for your partner to respond only to find that that wall grows taller and more difficult to navigate. But understanding how your partner is wired and responding to them in a really loving way is what reflects their attachment style, and it can actually help your partner heal. So one, don't chase your partner because they're going to flee. And rather than pressing your partner to, quote, open up, let them know that you are available when they are ready. And when your partner does begin to engage, put judgment in your back pocket making them feel guilty or ashamed of their feelings is actually going to reinforce that avoidant attachment injury. So it's also important to recognize that your partner's attachment style actually has little to do with you. In other words, don't take their silence or distance personally. You really have to trust in another person, you know, posing great obstacles to those with attachment injuries, right? just be steady, reliable, and present with your partner and that can help drastically. It's also vital that you don't give up on your partner. So of course you have to have your own boundaries, but provide regular and consistent messages that their needs are important to you and that they're safe with you. If you encourage communication and appreciate vulnerability, um it'll actually you know, they'll begin to feel the original longing to connect. Next is the anxious attachment style. So people with anxious attachment style actually have a lot of anxiety about their needs being met or even feeling secure and being lovable or loved. So of course, there's a lot of work to do there. Um, Back to the whole park example, right? Again, let's have our toddler wander off from the parent to explore their surroundings. They fall and hurt themselves. They cry out. And the parent ignores their cries at first. Then the child goes into a full fucking tantrum and panic mode, raising the level of their cry until the caregiver responds to their needs. Then the parent might seem annoyed or put off by the child's needs for soothing. Or worse, they yell at the kid for crying. Other times the parent might act overly consoling, intrusive, melodramatic. The parent might sometimes be loving and other times distracted. Which is an on again, off again parenting style that's very, very inconsistent. So this inconsistency, is it um this inconsistency <clears throat> in attachment styles to the child in attachment styles to the child's needs actually creates an over focus on the parent or other tuning into precisely to measure their reaction and to gauge the energy that they're exuding. So the over-focus on the parent leads to anxiety when in their presence due to that unpredictability in the situation. So as a result, people with anxious attachment styles tend to ignore their own needs and become the caregiver or smothering their partner. They become very needy and this leads to emotional starvation and a constant need to co-regulate and connect. So in other cases, children are expected to care for their parents or younger younger siblings. They might be put in emotionally complex situations before they are developed enough to really understand them. And their their parents may also look to the child to fulfill their own attachment needs, confusing their own needs for love with the love of the child. So just to give you a little bit more insight and background, I am 75% secure now, but I was a very avoidant and anxious attachment style. Um, And a lot has changed. I mean, those things still creep up, but I know what I need to do. So with the anxious attachment style in adults, because love was unpredictable during childhood, anxious attached people tend to seek out love and approval from others while having less self-esteem and little awareness or recognition for their own needs or what a healthy relationship looks and feels like. So it's interesting because a lot of times this is something that when I conduct sessions, this is something that shows up as seeking heart energy. So a lot of times these people do show up as codependents and this very like desperate neediness energy to have a partner or to make a relationship work. And Once that energy is released, I notice a shift in them where they start to become needy towards themselves. But it's just very interesting how everything that I've studied really does correlate. So if you have an anxious attachment style, you might have some or all of what I'm about to say. You have a constant need to connect or be close to your partner. You feel anxious or insecure when your partner is absent. You might feel unlovable or undeserving of love. You could be overly anxious to please others with very little thought of yourself. You might find yourself constantly thinking about the past. You might give too much and then grow resentful when it's not returned or appreciated. You definitely fucking keep score. (laughs) And you have this fear of abandonment and always perpetuate it. You could have low self-esteem or are short on confidence in relationships You have a crippling fear of losing your partner connection and might often grow from feelings of anxiety or disappointment to being angry when your partner fails to respond. And you might unconsciously smother your partner or push them away with really unrealistic expectations. So to heal the anxious attachment style, as with the avoidant attachment style, It's about breaking the cycle of behavior you learned in childhood as a matter of survival. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. And as with all new habits, practicing regular small steps towards secure attachment can actually lead to big improvements in your relationships. So focus on recognizing and meeting your own needs. Do things for yourself that you would quickly do for others. Practice self-regulation. Learn to ask for help and you can start small. Remember that people like to be helpful. Calm that inner critical voice. Maybe you can write an accurate narrative of your experiences to make sense of them. Avoid desperate actions for attention that push your partner away and really give your partner time and space. So a really helpful practice for anxious attached individuals is to just stay present and not disconnect or deflect. Now, if you are on the opposite end and your partner is an anxious attachment style, it can be very um, confusing or perhaps overbearing. And it's really important to realize that their attachment style was not a choice. Sometimes irrational behaviors have a very real foundation and understanding your partner's needs and how they are wired is helpful. So you might have your phone on silent, for example, only to find a string of texts and calls that become increasingly panicked and demanding. So check in with your partner, not because they are overly clingy, but because it feels important for them to stay tethered. People with ambivalent attachment styles can be overly vigilant about finding slights or perceived rejection, even when it's not helping. So it is a vital act to be trustworthy and also be forthcoming and avoid keeping secrets. And your partner is likely going to require additional reassurance. And by providing them with what they need, you're actually helping them develop the security they long for, So you can listen intently and be respectful and attuned to your partner's needs while also encouraging independence in the relationship and helping them carve out time to nurture themselves. So be consistent, be consistent. Inconsistency will trigger the fuck out of their anxiety. So this includes making sure that your words and your actions match up. Keep your agreements. And while your partner may actually need additional connection and support to feel safe, your partner is likely very attentive to your needs. And offer offer to help rather than just taking their constant giving for granted, which will actually be viewed as a lack of appreciation, if not reciprocated. And as I've mentioned before, It's not miscommunication that kills relationships, it's resentment. It's when the scales are tipped and uneven, unbalanced. So give and take equally. Lastly is the disorganized attachment style. So people with this attachment style can get stuck in a threat response or swing between avoidant and anxious adaptations without Without much of an um, identifiable pattern. So, <clears throat> let's go back to the park one last time. This, okay. Also, this is one of the most complex attachment styles. So, disorganized attachment between the avoidant and anxious often develops when a caregiver or parent who was threatening, scary, scary, or unsafe is created so this creates a duality of needing the parent for safety while simultaneously fearing them causing this back and forth shift between avoidant and anxious between turning off the signal cry completely and turning it on constantly okay going back to the park the child wanders off gets hurt they are met with accusations of not being careful, or worse, a physical punishment for their misstep. Rather than comfort, they are faced with a situation that the person that is expected to comfort them becomes threatening. So while physical violence is not always present in the development of the disorganized attachment, it is common. So this creates a no-win situation for the child because the source of safety is also dangerous and terrifying. So all too often relationships become risky and many of the behaviors that lead to disorganized attachments are fear-based and they leave children with unmet emotional needs and the dichotomy of having to rely on unpredictable and unreliable caregivers. Parents may have their own unsolved trauma And this dynamic eliminates the sense of safety necessary to develop healthy attachment as children, which then spills into adult relationships. And this is why if you are being called to inner child work and purchasing my course, just make that investment because not only are you going to be healing yourself, your relationship with your parents, but you are going to become a million times better of a parent. So the desire to connect is a very natural human trait, okay? Yearning to please caregivers or parents and the fear of abuse or neglect can both lead to the child becoming overly independent, avoidant, or anxious during childhood. So in the disorganized adaptation, the attachment system is designed to connect for safety and love, but it's entangled with excessive fear and threat. So as adults with disorganized attachments, they've learned that relationships are scary. And as a result, they may associate intimacy with fear while also feeling the urge to connect as an innate human need. So a lot of people with the disorganized attachments style, they... Have cases of physical or sexual abuse, so disassociation is very common. They may experience fight, flight, or freeze survival responses in relationships that block intimacy. I also have a entire light language on healing intimacy and stuff. So there are numerous ways to heal all these things. It's not just, um, I mean, definitely becoming conscious of it, but also becoming consistent with practices whether it's, and all on an energetic level, whether it's light language, whether it's coming for a session, whether it's doing certain kinds of visualization and meditation techniques, like it does help unlock a lot. Other things include self-absorption, absorption, and having a strong need to be in control. And remember, if you are a woman, if you always feel the need to control, that is you being dominantly in your wounded masculine. So everything correlates, guys. Um, also, lack of presence in relationships, lack of impulse control, maybe having flashbacks or revisiting traumatic experiences in memory, difficulty concentrating or thinking on timeline about the past, getting easily startled or alarmed, even having constant constant um, vigilance for danger or shifts in mood, and you can appear to be kind of checked out. A lot of times, these are also people who have addictions and might even have eating disorders. So navigating relationships and intimacy feels like dangerous territory to people with disorganized attachments, but progress is absolutely possible. Progress is possible. So to heal the disorganized attachment... And the unique challenges that it poses is a great first step so because abuse or trauma is common with the disorganized attachment having certain trauma therapy can be extremely beneficial and i'm not talking about just doing talk therapy because talk therapy can actually be damaging in the long run because when you're talking about something from your past, and this goes into metaphysics and quantum physics, when you are talking about something that you have previously experienced, your brain knows that it already happened, but your body doesn't. So your body has this physiological experiences and emotions and hormones going through it again, as if it's going, it's as if it's happening, because your body doesn't know if it's happened or it's happening. So in many cases, progress For the disorganized attachment can require the help of therapy or coaches and healers. But first things first is to admit it and to come to terms with it. Second is to make the commitment of breaking those cycles. So another thing is that disorganized attachment actually comes from intergenerational attachment injuries. So these are passed from parent to child, and this goes to doing ancestral healing. Um, breaking the attachment injury cycle actually begins with acknowledging its impact on children and its impact on adult relationships. So it can be really helpful to identify those in your life with whom you feel safe. This might be a friend, partner, beloved pet. But when you think of those safe individuals, what sensations arise in your body? you feel warm, calm, more relaxed. So safety and healing are possible and identifying allies who have your back can really help ground your emotions and keep those threat responses in check and give you a safe home base. This is also why I always tell my clients who want to have sessions, make sure to work with someone that you trust because if you don't trust them and you don't feel safe, you're not going to be able to drop in deeper and do the work. So if you're loving someone who has a disorganized attachment style, it can seem like a roller coaster ride at times. And as their partner, you can actually help them along their path to healing um, in addition to maybe couples therapy, a few healing sessions together, separately. It's really important to be clear with communication and avoid mixed messages, which can be confusing for a partner that has a disorganized attachment. So you can also try speaking to your loved one in a calm and consistent tone of voice because raising your voice or shouting matches, um, it can cause your partner to retreat or disassociate. So give them time and space for regulation. It's also important to, um, especially with people who have abuse histories, to practice safe touch when your partner feels able to receive. So check in with your partner and ask, does this feel okay and comfortable to you? And you can teach your partner that you are their safe home base with affectionate safe and t- safe touch. So looking at your partner with loving gazing eyes, um, that can help to connect and just be really present. So with all this being said, when it comes to relationships and the importance of attachment theory and how we interact with others, it's a really great idea to be discriminating in the information that you choose to digest. So seek information in whatever form from trusted leaders And thank you for showing up and listening to this episode. I hope you took lots of notes, had lots of realizations. And if you would like to dive in deeper to heal your inner child wounds, then check out my Instagram, Bloom Shakti, B-L-O-O-M-S-H-A-K-T-I, or go to my website, BloomShaktiHealing.com for my course on healing your inner child. And that is the first step to really opening up everything for deeper healing and release. Until next week, my loves, take care.